Hello everyone, this is Mike Berto, the healthcare economist at Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Louisiana, welcoming you to another Straight Talk podcast. Today we're going to cover some user questions, questions people have submitted to us. I'm here with my producer, Lindsay Burton. Really good to see you today, Lindsay. It's good to see you as well. Yeah, I appreciate you coming and having a little fun with me. I think this will be a fun time to really dive into what people want to talk about, kind of get out of our own heads for a while, crawl into somebody else's. Why don't we give that a shot? We forget we spend all day doing this and we forget that it's not what everyone else spends all day. So we've gotten some really good questions. Our first one is from Gavin. It's about the health insurance tax. Gavin writes, I have seen rate increases every single year. Never have I seen any evidence of rate reductions associated with HIT. My rate increase for 2020 was $200 a month. I'm covering myself, my wife, and one adult child age 22 and will be paying $1,800 a month. This situation is completely unacceptable. So more a statement than a question, but what kind of response do you have to Gavin? Well, what's important is Gavin brings up some really significant points about healthcare insurance um, over the last decade, how much it's changed. We still have some customers out there who remember what it was like in the days when they were relatively healthy and they could still buy individual coverage really cheaply. Um, when the ACA came through, it revamped the individual market pretty dramatically in three big ways. Um, number one, it said, you've got to let everybody in. So no matter what health conditions people present with, they are in the pool. The second thing was it provided subsidies, a lot of tax credit money for folks so they could afford their insurance. But there's a cliff out there at about 400% of the poverty line. Think about 45 grand a year for someone who's a single or about 90,000 a year for a family of four where all that assistance disappears and you have to pay the full price for the premium. And the third reason is he mentioned the health insurer tax. This was designed to put a, a two to 3% tax on everyone's premiums. And then that money would be used to fund the tax credits and to run healthcare.gov, the actual website. Over the years, various presidents have waived the hit tax for a year, then they put it back, then they waive it again. And so we've been on this roller coaster where we're required to collect this money some years and other years we aren't. And that can really mask the effect on rates. So it's, it's hard for somebody to really understand. But when you think about rates now versus then, we're covering a larger population of older people with more health conditions than we were in the individual market um, 10 years ago. That drives up cost. The cost of everything associated with healthcare, whether we're talking about hospital stays, doctor bills, drug costs have all gone up pretty dramatically over that period of time as well. And Gavin, based on the premium he's quoting here, tells me he makes too much money for any assistance, which means he's exposed to the full brunt of all of those rate increases. Gavin's rate increase represents about a 12% increase. And that came from two big sources in his case. It's clear that he's not eligible for tax credits with the amount of money that he's paying. But the ACA requires that we charge everybody more as they get older. 
And once you get older than about 50, that age rate increase is 2% a year, 2 to 3% a year. So he's got about a 12% increase represented there. The first 2 or 3% is everybody under his umbrella getting older. The second thing is that the HIT tax was waived for the prior year, but we have to collect it for 2020. Then hopefully it'll be waived again next year. So that's another 2 or 3% he got hit with. And the final increase he's dealing with is the fact that in 2018 and 19, we did uh, well. We had um, more money coming in. So for the 2019 renewals, we lowered rates almost 5%. And then during 2019, customers used an enormous amount of medical expenses. And so for 2020, we had to turn around, recover that rate increase, the rate decrease rather, and then increase them a little bit more. So this is kind of a perfect storm of stuff he's dealing with. And I feel his pain right now. We're all dealing with it. So there are a lot of factors that go into a healthcare insurance premium but we generally don't spell it out for our members when they get that monthly or it's, that Yeah, quote. it's challenging because every member will have a slightly different story. So with, you know, we have about 100,000 people enrolled in individual coverage. There might be 25 different reasons their rates would go up or down. But keep in mind, uh, as a bit of a security blanket, the feds require us to spend 80 cents of every dollar he gives us on nothing but health care. So we're not increasing rates so that we can buy new Cadillacs and second houses and new deer leases, right? This money is essentially going into health care by federal order. And so we have to track that very carefully. Our second question is from Ray. How do we get rid of the marketplace, Ray asks. That third party is causing a lot of expense. We need to deal directly with the insurance companies. Wow. Well, Ray, I appreciate your vote of confidence in us. Under the Affordable Care Act, though, um, the way it's structured, I'm not sure the marketplace is what's responsible for rates being higher. It's all the rules that the marketplace require to operate. So when we design a health plan to be sold in the individual market nowadays, we have very strict federal guidelines that we have to follow. They have to cover an enormous amount of stuff. The plans are much broader than they were years ago. And because of the way the Fed structure cost sharing, deductibles and copays could be higher. Um, so it's a very interesting combination where your plan covers more services and drugs and procedures than it used to, but your share of those procedures is a little higher. Um, nobody is required to buy insurance on healthcare.gov, on the marketplace. You can still contact agents or insurance companies directly and do business with them, but if your income falls into that zone where you would qualify for an advanced tax credit to help defer your premiums, or perhaps a cost-sharing reduction to keep your deductibles and copays down, we are not allowed to distribute those anywhere but inside the marketplace. So if your income is above 400% of poverty, it doesn't really matter that much whether you use a marketplace or not. If it's below 400, to get those benefits, those extra federal benefits, you would definitely have to use healthcare.gov. As far as getting rid of the marketplace, the marketplace is a whole section of the ACA. So as long as there's an Affordable Care Act, there are going to be exchanges like healthcare.gov. Okay, thanks. All right, here is a question from Marie. This one has been edited for length. It's still pretty long, so hold on to your hats. Why is there so much rumbling on the pre-existing clause? If you are supposed to have health insurance and are already covered, who will that, that affect? 
And prior to the ACA, we had portability to move about our plans. So what is the big issue except that on every January 1st, anyone is eligible to buy coverage with no repercussions, which is taking down the insurance carriers one by one. Why wouldn't carriers want to stop the bleeding? Wow, that is a lot of questions. Okay, um, well, let's talk a little bit about the way the marketplace goes and what's the big deal with pre-existing conditions. Now, if I told you that you needed to buy insurance on your automobile, you would fully expect that someone who had 10 wrecks would pay more for their insurance than somebody who had a clean driving record. Of course. And so in the past, when we assessed risk for health insurance, the process was kind of similar. If somebody presented a lot of health risks, they paid more for their insurance. If somebody presented fewer health risks, they paid less. That was outlawed under the Affordable Care Act. So today, when we sell insurance in the individual marketplace, we're only allowed to vary the price based on the plan you selected, your age, whether or not you use tobacco, and what region you live in. In some regions, healthcare is more expensive than in other regions. Other than those four things, everybody pays the same rate at the same age. So the whole notion that you would get a better deal if you were healthier has kind of gone by the wayside. The, the, the feds have allowed that to go away. The second part that's interesting about this too is the pre-ex clause. You wouldn't expect to be able to go to a homeowner's insurance company and buy insurance on a house that burned down two weeks ago, right? I right. mean, that seems a little you know, counterintuitive. But you can certainly buy health insurance now under federal law based on pre-existing conditions. So no matter what health conditions you walk in the door with, you can buy health insurance like it's the first day based strictly on your age. Her point is very interesting. She said, isn't health insurance portable? It absolutely is. If you get health insurance through your job and you leave that job, there's a law in place called COBRA that requires that employer to offer you that same health insurance for 18 months, I believe, after you leave. So you have plenty of time to get another policy. The thing that always blows people up when they try to do that is they have no idea how generous their employers are. And so when they're working for employer X, he's paying 80% of their premiums, they're putting out a couple hundred bucks a month out of their paycheck, and they feel like, ooh, I bought health insurance. Not seeing the $800 or 600 bucks the employer paid for them. Once you will go on COBRA and you don't work for that guy anymore, he's not required to finance any of your health insurance. So you get hit with the whole bill. And that's what blows people up. They think, they walk around thinking their insurance is $200 a month because their employers are generous. Um, in her case, when she's talking about portability, certainly you have rights when you move from one health insurance plan to another. This is a great time for me to point out that the state of Louisiana right now is editing off of the Medicaid program 10,000, 20,000 people a month because they're doing very tight checks on income and citizenship status and residence. If you are bounced from Medicaid for one of those reasons, that is an instant special enrollment trigger for healthcare.gov. You have a portability option where the marketplace will open for you on that day and stay open for 60 days. So you can go from Medicaid and transition very smoothly to an individual policy. Please make sure if you lose your Medicaid, you don't panic.
that's the same kind of thing as having a baby or getting married yes. or losing other coverage, employer coverage, et cetera. Absolutely the same. If you're on Medicaid and Medicaid bounces you for you made a little too much money or you moved out of state or your citizenship is in question, healthcare.gov will open for you special enrollment. No questions asked. You just have to provide the documentation from the Medicaid program that shows that you were removed. Okay. Uh, do we want to talk about Marie's question about, you know, the, uh, the pre-existing condition clause is taking down the insurance carriers 101 one by one. Why wouldn't carriers want to stop the bleeding? Well, you know, she raises a rather controversial but interesting point. Um, in We're the, not afraid of controversy. No, obviously not. <laughs> in the past, any time any state has tried to create a, a no pre-ex risk pool, or what we would call a guaranteed issued risk pool, where everyone's allowed to buy in whenever they want without regard to their health status, every single one of those efforts by every state who's tried it has failed. Crashed and burned and they're ugly. It's ugly when it happens. But the guys who wrote the ACA knew that if you wanted a pre-ex pool that could survive and keep the rates reasonable, you had to put some very strict, very strong fences around it, like an individual mandate that kicks you into the pool or makes you pay money if you don't join, like a requirement that you have insurance at every age as you move through the guidelines, like a, as big a spread as possible of people to get into the pool and the tax credits and the subsidies make a very strong incentive for lower income people to keep their insurance. Anytime that any of those fences is torn down, weakened, or removed, it makes that individual risk pool less viable. So she does have a point. The no pre-ex thing, if not properly applied, can be problematic for insurance. Okay. Uh, we've got one more question from Derek, who is a business owner. Uh, he's asking about a lot of things that healthcare consumers can relate to. For me and millions of other hardworking Americans, my Blue Cross insurance for the rest of my company is up at least 40% since the ACA, while coverage is probably down 40%. Tell me how this has helped the average guy. I pay 100% of the employee's health insurance, and yet they complain that the deductibles rise every year, and I don't blame them. Health insurance is our biggest monthly expense. The middle class cannot carry the burden for everyone. Obviously, it has been very well for Blue Cross and other insurers, or you would not always be trying to sell us on how great it's been. Have I been doing that? Have I been selling everybody on how great the ACA is, Lindsay? <laughs> um, you've been listening to me for the last decade, poor thing. You know, you probably have a feel for it. Derek is a very generous employer, uh, an outlier, really, in the marketplace. Um, I don't run across employers very often who are willing to fund 100% of their employees' coverage. If he's indicating that since the ACA passed, his rates have gone up 40%, that would be about right. Um, I hate to say it, but six years since the ACA passed. So going up three or four points a year, you know, maybe and he's five. probably a small employer who has to include all of the essential health, essential benefits, health benefits, right? And he's right about that. The ACA did, um, they called it strengthening small group insurance. They made it much broader, made it cover a lot more stuff applied essentially the same rules as the individual pool. Um, he is fortunate, although he doesn't know it, in that the small group pools tend to be healthier than the individual pools. So 
if he saw the rates for his plan on the individual market, he'd be even more scared, uh, disappointed. But the reality is um, insurance is constantly evolving. Another thing the ACA did that you know, we don't think about it is it upped our compliance burden dramatically. You know, we have a lot more people who basically their whole job is compliance with the ACA to make sure we stay within the guardrails created by the law. The whole thing really was designed to add coverage. And if you look at Medicaid, the expansion, and you look at the people who are getting individual coverage under the ACA, it added millions of people to coverage. But the cost of that was spread out among all of the insurance companies and because 85% of what we take in, or 80% in small group, has to go to medical costs, it was also spread out among all the companies like Derek's. Um, God bless him for staying so focused on keeping his employees insured. Um, the reason that his deductibles go up every year is because it's a federal requirement that our plans match the federal definition of bronze, silver, gold, and platinum plans when you're a company with less than 50 employees and they increase that minimum value every year, whether we like it or not. So the, it's by design that the deductibles, co-pays and co-insurance in the individual and small group market go up every year. They were indexed in the ACA and we have to comply with the indexes. That's not a good answer, um, but it's the way that the market is structured today. And honestly, today, I don't know any way around that. So, no good news for Derek. No good news for Derek. Um, there was a time when the states had much more control over their small group marketplaces. Um, prior to 2010, Louisiana's small group market was regulated by the states. And if you worked hard and kept your employees healthy, the healthier and younger your workforce was, you got better deals on your insurance. But under the ACA, that's not allowed anymore unless you're a big company up to about 50 employees, you're gonna pay the same whether you have a healthy workforce or a, or a less healthy workforce. The only differentiator really is the average age in the pool. So as your workforce ages, the rates go up even faster than they would normally. That's the structure the feds adopted when they wrote the Affordable Care Act. And so we've kind of migrated to that, we had to, and that's the impact it's having in the market. If Derek had a larger company that was more than 50 employees, what we call an ale, an applicable large employer, then he would have about 200 plan options as it, because he'd be in a zone of size where the feds don't regulate it very tightly. That's the oddity we're dealing with. There's this kind of artificial cliff at the 50 mark. When you're below it, you have to buy federally approved plans. When you're above it, the state's in control and we can be much more flexible. Okay, here's a good question for you. This one is from Michael. It was a comment left on our uh, recent post, the ACA bounces from court to court, now what? Michael says, let's say the ACA falls and is no longer the law of the land, then what? Do we go back to pre-2010 regulations? Will the whole health insurance industry be held in limbo? That's a great question. Um, I guess we don't know exactly what would happen, but let me tell you some of the things that you're seeing in the health insurance market that are there strictly because of the authority and directive from the ACA. So Louisiana is engaged in a Medicaid expansion. They've added 450,000 people to the Medicaid rolls who are very low income. A lot of them are working, have jobs, but they don't make very much money. They don't get offered coverage at work. And they're um, close to half a million of them 
the funding for that cohort of Medicaid comes directly from the ACA. Two and a half billion dollars, almost three billion a year in federal money that comes directly from DC to Louisiana. And all we have to do to draw that money down is raise 10% of the mm. cost. So that three billion represents 90% of the cost of insuring all those people. No ACA, that would mean that Congress and the Senate and the president would have to agree to restore those funds. Can you imagine in the current environment those three agreeing on anything? Mike, that's I, the funniest joke you've told all yeah, year. Exactly right. So that's the first thing the ACA impact would have on Louisiana. No more uh, Medicaid expansion. The second thing is half a billion dollars flowed from D.C. through the healthcare.gov exchange to lower income folks buying individual coverage, private coverage from Blue Cross or Vantage or even Christus Health now. So no ACA, somebody's got to replace that half a billion dollars of Louisiana money that's going to go away and was the only reason 90% of the people on the ACA website could afford their insurance. So that's two things. The third thing is there's a ton of regulatory stuff we don't talk about that people really like. Do you like being able to keep your kids on your policy till they're 26? Everybody I've talked to, except business owners, seem to really like that codicil. But that's, a, that's because of the Affordable Care Act. Take it away, that's gone too. Now, the states can replace regulatory stuff like that. They can sit down and say, we're going to write a law that requires business to do all this. And they, Louisiana's done something. And they've that. done that. And they can even put back no pre-ex, right? No pre-existing conditions. But where are you going to get the $3.5 billion? You know, we had a fiscal cliff a few years ago worth maybe $600 million, And there was a knockdown, drag-out argument about that that lasted three years. What if it was five times that much money? So the ACA financially has been good for Louisiana in many ways. Not perfect. Certainly, there have been their hiccups and problems. It's put us in a much smaller box administratively. We're not, can't be nearly as flexible as we could have been for a business customer 10 years ago. But it also has funneled a lot of money into Louisiana's economy, especially the medical economy. And just as a side note, the uh, last lawsuit against the ACA, Texas v. U.S., that went to the Fifth Circuit here in New Orleans, mm -hmm. and they kind of did a split decision on what to do about it, is going to be heard again in front of the Supreme Court, the U.S. Supreme Court, on February 28th, which may be after uh, we've recorded this, right? It I may Maybe by the after time you hear this, this, that may already have or happened. But we won't have a decision on whether the Supreme Court will hear it early or not. Yes. That's what they're going to argue That'll be about. after we've recorded this before we were released it. Gotcha. So, um, you know, it's a great point. The ACA is kind of a mixed bag for us. There are some things that is, are very popular. Nobody would want to shut off. And there are other things that really disadvantage some folks. A little of both. All right. Thank you for your time today, Mike. Um, listeners, if you have questions for Mike, you can email us at straighttalkla at bcbsla.com. You can also leave a comment on our blog posts at straighttalkla.com. Mike reads every single one of those comments, every single one of those emails. You really are talking directly to Mike, our font of knowledge. <laughs> every single time. It's what I live for. <laughs> and it's a good part of your job now too so. all of a sudden yeah yeah <laughs> all right thank you